0: Hey, it's really hard to hear from God at the speed of hustle. That's how we started this conversation last week. It's really hard to hear from God at the speed of hustle. We, we don't like to slow down. It feels unproductive with, unproductive with so many deadlines and so many to-dos. We feel like we can't afford to pause, But even more so, for many Christians, we we feel like the Sabbath is this outdated command given to to Old Testament peoples that's no longer relevant to to New Testament believers. But, But what if we're thinking about Sabbath rest all wrong? This week, we're going to take the next step in building a theology of Sabbath rest. Last week, we began by looking at the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, God's model and His example of pausing and on the seventh day resting. And what we saw in God's model and example is that God is far more than just stopping from our work. God is inviting us to delight in His work. It's an opportunity for us to remember His work. But this week, as we continue to build this theology of Sabbath rest, we're going to look at the Old Testament commands and we're going to ask how they apply to us. And what we're going to see is this that God's invitation to Sabbath is far more about relationship than it is just rest. That is an invitation to connect with Him far more than it is just to disconnect from work. Where we view the Sabbath as a command to be followed, God views it as a relationship to be enjoyed. So it's not just that it's hard to hear from God at the speed of hustle, it's that it's hard to be present with God at the speed of hustle. And God desires us to be present with him, and so he calls us to slow down. Let me show you what I mean. Turn with me in Exodus chapter 20. Grab your Bibles, turn there slowly. And we're gonna look at this Old Testament Command to Sabbath, to rest in Him. It's found in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, start at the beginning, second book in Exodus chapter 20. Let me just set the stage for you, the context of this passage as we dive in. So the people of God were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God hears their cry. He sends Moses to lead them out of Egypt. God performs countless miracles, He frees them. He then leads them across the wilderness, and he leads them to this point where they find themselves standing before the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And here at Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, they're standing before the mountain. God has called Moses up to speak with him, and God is going to issue to Moses the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments serve as the backbone, the, the foundation, if you will, for how the people of God are to walk with God, how they're to relate with God. These are essentially the the rules of relationship. If you have one of those plaques in your house, like family rules, guess what? These were God's original family rules for how the people of God were to relate to him. We're going to pick it up then. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. God spoke all these words, saying, "'I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery.'" You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. Your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the, or the surgeoner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now just stop there with me. So we stopped short of reading all of the Ten Commandments. The the purpose of our conversation today, again, we're building a theology of Sabbath rest. So we're really going to focus in on verses 8 to 11. But you, you can see immediately here the rules of relationship that God is establishing, right? Command number one in verse three, you have no other gods before me. Command two, verses four through six, no carved images. Don't Idolatry is not permitted. We don't bow to anyone or anything other than God. Verse 7, don't take his name in vain. And then the fourth command in verse 8, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You you may not notice this at first glance, but if you look closely, the Sabbath command is actually the longest of all ten. Strictly by word count, God uses the most words and spends the, the most time speaking of the Sabbath, which I think says a little bit to us about its importance to us and for us. But before we can even break it down and begin to parse out, okay, what does it mean? How does it relate and apply to us? We, we actually have to stop and first ask a more foundational question. Does this even apply to to us. Does this Old Testament command even apply to us? Many would argue that it doesn't. Many would say that as you study and look at it, you see that God is speaking to his people, and that this is then a, a command to the to Old Testament and, and a command to Israel, but not a command to New Testament believers. And, and they argue this from verse 2, Or in verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Who does he bring out of Egypt? Who does he free from slavery? Israel. So so scholars might argue, and and several have, that, hey, this doesn't really apply to us because God is just speaking to those people then. And certainly, as New Testament Christians, the scriptures do tell us that we are no longer under the law. We are now under grace. Paul, Ephesians chapter 2. Consider Paul's words in Ephesians 2. We'll put it on the screen. Paul in Ephesians 2 says this, "...but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace." Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, Jesus, might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is one of several passages where the New Testament breaks down that we're no longer under the law. We now live under grace. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And so many would say, okay, see, then anything in the Old Testament law then doesn't relate to us. It doesn't apply to us. Therefore, the Sabbath, work as hard as you want, as long as you want. That's the argument. But I'm, I'm going to contend this morning, there are two major problems with this argument. Two reasons that it doesn't hold water. The first reason is Jesus. Jesus himself, and how you see him treat the Ten Commandments, that Jesus does not rescind the Ten Commandments. Jesus actually reinforces them and explains the spirit of them to us, emphasizing the spirit of the ten far greater. Just consider with me for a moment Jesus' words. He does come and he says in Matthew five seventeen, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus says, yeah, I absolutely came to fulfill them because you couldn't. You and your flesh, you and your sin, you can't keep them perfectly. But he also says, I haven't abolished them. There's some tension that Jesus creates. And then as Jesus proceeds in Matthew chapter 5, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he delivers the Sermon. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he points back to the Ten Commandments and he doesn't say, hey, they're no longer relevant. He actually doubles down on them. Consider his words about murder. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. To which everyone in the room, who's ever called another driver an idiot, immediately says, oh no. See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. And I say, it's all good. We're free now from that law. No, Jesus says, not only should you not murder, but you shouldn't murder in your heart. And when you curse someone inside, when you even just think you fool while driving home or driving through Waco with all of the construction that is always backing up traffic, in that moment, Jesus says, you've done it. You've done it. You've broken the law. Jesus isn't excusing us from the law. He's not rescinding that part of the law. He's actually emphasizing its truest meaning. And he would go on and say, I feel this perfectly because you can't drive without doing this. And so Jesus steps in to reveal the fullest understanding of it and also to take the burden of it. Praise God. But notice he doesn't remove it. Paul, both Paul and Jesus throughout the New Testament, hold to the spirit of the Ten Commandments, they point to it while also reminding. All of their readers, us included, that Jesus perfectly fulfilled it. Both Paul and Jesus distinguish a difference between the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. They seem to treat these ten different. These rules of relationship with God, there's a spirit that we're still called to follow. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. So many people argue that the Sabbath is no longer relevant. These commands, the Sabbath, is old time, old people, not relevant for us, so you're free to work as you, as you wish, as long as you wish. But how many of us are willing to argue that the command not to murder is no longer relevant? You know what? I think that was an old rule for old people. <laughs> how many of us are willing to argue, you know what, stealing, game on. Adultery, game on. See, the problem is that we, we look at the Sabbath law in the 10 and we say, oh, that doesn't really apply to us. And then we get enraged that they've removed the 10 commandments from our courthouses and our schools. Why is it that you think it's so important that they remain in those places, but you also say that that fourth commandment no longer applies to you? You can't have it both ways. They either matter or they don't. And they either all matter or they all don't. And Jesus came in and he says, they matter. And the spirit matters. The heart of it matters. And because your heart can't figure it out, his heart and his life perfectly fulfilled it. But Jesus didn't rescind it, he reinforced it. This leads to a second and a deeper reason why I believe this command of Sabbath still applies to us today. The second reason, let's go back to the text then, back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Skip with me to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When God speaks about the Sabbath, he does two things that I find interesting that I think make it still relevant for us today. First, in verse 10, God says, clearly, it's not just for for his people, but as he's parsing out in verse 10, he also says the Sabbath is for livestock. The Sabbath is also for sojourners, people among you who aren't of you. Jesus' rule for the Sabbath seems to go beyond just a particular people in a particular place. It's not just his people Israel, it's also their animals. Your dog's allowed a Sabbath, apparently. My dog knows how to Sabbath quite well. And frequently after a hard day, I will come home and I'll just stare at him because he never gets up to greet me. He is not man's best friend at all. And just laying in his little bed, I will just look at him and I'm like, you lucky dog. All of the pain, all the heartache, all of the work, all of the headaches, and you're just there sleeping. God says Sabbath. Sabbath, not just to the livestock, but to sojourners. Meaning Gentiles coming in from the outside, traveling through, staying a night They are to, to be mindful of this too. Why? Why would God be so expansive in this? Because of what he roots it in. And look at verse 11. Reading verse 11, let me ask you a question. What does God point to as the foundation for this command? It says in verse 11, for in six days. Days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. So when God is pointing to the reason for Sabbath, he doesn't point to a covenant, he doesn't point to law, he points to what? Creation. The basis for Sabbath is creation. Sabbath is rooted in creation, not a covenant. Sabbath is a creation principle, not a covenant one. Sabbath comes first, Covenant after creation comes first, covenant after God establishes rules of walking with Him and rightly being in relationship with Him and honoring Him, and this comes before the covenant. The people of God were invited to rest not because of a law or a covenant, but because creation, because of what God Himself modeled, as we talked about last week. Here's the thing Jesus would establish a new covenant. But even that new covenant comes after what? Creation. And Jesus says his new covenant replaces an old covenant. But Jesus doesn't say his new covenant replaces creation. There's a creation principle at work in what God does and what Jesus follows, which we'll get to next week. Let let me be really, really, really clear on one point here so that no one misunderstands me. I am not saying that we are bound to the entire Old Testament law. I'm not saying that. You read through the entire Old Testament law, there are 613 laws that came after. Some of those laws now like laws about like mixed fabrics. So if you're sitting here and you have a poly-cotton blend, right? There is grace for you. <laughs> Jesus came and he fulfilled the law perfectly so that you could wear Lycra. <laughs> right? Those laws were not under But Jesus holds to a spirit in these 10 that he doesn't rescind, but he reinforces so that we'd know how to walk with God. And he calls us to understand that walking in this spirit is how we honor God and how we hold him up in a watching world while also reminding us that we could never do it perfectly and that's why he came. So what then is the point of Sabbath? Why does it exist? Why did God command it? What is its purpose in our lives? Let's go back to the text. It says in the text, that the seventh day, verse 10, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You can highlight that word to underline it, but here's the deal. There's There's a... A purpose and a nature to this phrase here that God is highlighting. We so often think of Sabbath as a rest from something. Our whole perspective on Sabbath is a release from. It is release from work, escape from work. God doesn't define it that way. And God, as he's looking at Sabbath, he's not looking at you and your energies. And again, we think of Sabbath like, man, well, we're weak and we're finite people and we need a break because God's infinite, but we're not. And so Sabbath is here because we struggle. God isn't pointing to us as the reason for Sabbath. He's pointing to who? Himself. It's not about you getting rest from. It's about you getting rest into and with A father the only one who can provide every good and perfect gift the one who created all things he calls you to be in relationship with him as the only one who can satisfy your soul it is a sabbath to god not a sabbath from work and it redefines how we look and how we approach this command and this day The phrasing points to a dwelling with God as a reason for this command. As we're going to see in weeks ahead, especially in the final week, we're going to break down that there was a communal aspect to this because it was about dwelling and relating and celebrating God and his work. So really, Sabbath is less a command to be obeyed and more a relationship to be enjoyed. So let me just define then Sabbath, our functional definition off which we'll build and apply in the coming weeks. Sabbath then, through this lens, Sabbath is a 24-hour period where we are called to cease striving and rest in Him. Sabbath is not just escaping from work. Yeah, we, we, we cease striving. Why? Because it's a Sabbath to the Lord. We're called to Him, to rest in Him. Remember last week we talked about how that another facet of sabbath is delighting god god didn't turn and rest on the seventh day because he was tired he turned and looked back at all he had done declaring it very good because he chose to delight and glory in it you and i we are called to delight and glory in the presence of god the presence of our creator think of this from israel's perspective They'd they'd been enslaved for 400 years. God pulls them out and brings them to this place. And bringing them to this place, what does God offer them? Rest. From the perspective of slavery, for 400 years, they had had no rest, no reward, no thank you cards, no thanks for your service, no grace, no mercy. Simply the constant cracking of a whip driving them to do more and more and more at the expense of their very lives. And God calls them out of slavery. And in one of his first commands, he invites them to rest. Think of the power of this for a people who had never known it. Their God, the God of creation and the God of all miracles, was a life-giving God who wanted them to actually rest. Not apart, but in him. As the only one who could grant them what their hearts really yearned for. So what does God do? He invites us to slow down, that we might dwell with him, rest in him. Jesus says, as we'll unpack more next week, come to me, all who labor heavy laden, and I See the nature of relationship in that? I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't say, I will help you escape a hard day. I will give you Monday night football to the glory of God. I do believe that is a gift. But that's not where rest is found. Jesus' says, rest is found in me. Sabbath is an opportunity to, not from. So what do we do with this? What. What's the application and the takeaway? We're, we're gonna g- begin to break a few things down over the next couple of weeks and get more and more practical in this. But just a couple of things, because as we get into commands and it just reminds us all of all of the laws, we immediately wanna know, okay, so what are we supposed to do and not do? And so let's just highlight a couple of things and then we'll break them down further as we go in the upcoming weeks. So what, what ceases then because of Sabbath? What are we called to, to, to stop doing, to cease? Very simply, just one simple thing. Stop ordinary work. Leviticus 23:3, just stop ordinary work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord, so we cease our striving. We cease the regular duties. We cease trying to prove things and earn things and work for things because Sabbath is a day to remember that Jesus has secured all things. So we just cease ordinary work. What doesn't stop on the sabbath well first of all works of necessity it doesn't work to just lay on the couch and be like sorry kids you're on your own like there are works of necessity still and if you have young kids sabbath is not the time they used to they learn to use the burners on the stove right like you're two but i think you got this no no there are works of necessity like there's some things that still have to be done Cooking and taking care of the family, that's okay. And again, Jesus has freed us from the strict nature of the law so that we can come into this with grace and with freedom. Why? That we might have relationship governing us, not rules governing us. There's freedom in this, but there's still necessity, and we don't need to feel guilty about necessity there's also works of mercy. We're gonna talk more about this next week as we look at Jesus, what he says about the Sabbath and teaches about the Sabbath. I had a guy, uh, not at this church, don't try to figure out who it is, at another church, uh, previous ministry, tell me that, that the reason he didn't serve on Sundays is because it was the Sabbath and he didn't serve in one of our ministries because he needed the rest and it was Sabbath, it was supposed to be holy and rest and he couldn't understand why we were trying to get people to volunteer. I was like, huh, that really only works if you want to argue that you're going to volunteer for us six days a week and then take one off, which he was unwilling to do. That, no, works of service are still in play. Jesus himself points to this, as we'll see next week, but in the Old Testament law, if a neighbor's donkey, if an ox falls into a pit, rescue it. You don't leave the animal to suffer and die. That's not the point of the Sabbath. What doesn't cease is works of worship. There's a work of worship of coming together. We'll get into this in the final week of the series. Coming together matters. We don't break from that. As Jesus says, there's something powerful that happens when we come together and we're reminded of what God does. We don't take breaks from that. We're going to get into that in the final week and talk about not just the nature of worship related to Sabbath, but also why the way we worship matters and why the way we worship here at Northeast is the way that we worship because it's tied to something we see in the Sabbath. See, all of this, God just calls us to slow down, slow down, cease your striving, cease trying to prove something, rest and delight in me, come to me. It's really hard to do relationship at the speed of hustle. Have you noticed that? You notice those moments where you miss something with your kids? And you turn around and you're like, man, how'd you get to be so tall, so big? When did that happen? While we were at work, right? Those moments where we lament missing something because of travel, missing something because of obligations, it's hard to do relationship at the speed of hustle. And God knows this. And so what does He do? He invites His people to slow down. One of my, my mentors lives in New Zealand, and I've had the opportunity to visit with him several times there. In our, in our last visit, he and his wife, Don and I, were staying with them on our final day, and he and his wife uh, invited us out for, for a walk. Um, the first time I was there, they they affectionately called it the walkabout and I was like oh yeah just like you know Australia and that's when I learned that you don't tell New Zealand people that they do things like Australian people (laughs) but fortunately he invited us back and the second time we were invited to a walk and I just shut up and I went with him and and this is part of their pace and their rhythm that he and his wife do this every day and the culture kind of slows to this rhythm a little bit more than we do here and every day they would go and take a walk. And so while we were staying with them, they invited us, hey, let's, let's take a walk. We do a normal walk and we, we kinda go down by the bay and we walk around the bay and then there's this coffee shop at the end and we stay and we eat and we talk and we catch up. Sometimes we read together and spend time with Jesus and then we slowly meander back. And they invited us and we walked and it was glorious. It was just a slow pace and it was beautiful. And we ended up at this coffee shop with one of the best coffees I've ever had. And then we meandered back. And on the the way back, Don and Elaine had kind of drifted off, fallen off a little bit, having their own conversation. Roland and I were up front having our conversation. he starts picking on me and pushing on me about my heart and the things that we've been doing and the pace that I've been living and and the stressors in ministry and how I was holding on to them. And he starts challenging me about this need to slow down and this need to reconnect with with God and, and his pace and his call. And he starts reflecting on this, even this walk that we were on and this pace that he chooses in his own life. And he says, you know, I get this from, from a theologian. He says, actually, a Japanese theologian. And he introduced me to this guy by the name of Kosuki Koyama. Kosuke Koyama, a, a Japanese theologian who long ago in the 70s wrote this book. And in it, he writes about the speed of God. Reflecting on the wilderness moments, reflecting on Jesus and his pace, he writes that that God moves at the speed of love, and the speed of love is the speed of three miles an hour. And he argues that this is the speed of walking, because the natural pace of walking is about three miles an hour. And he begins to look through the scriptures at how God moves and how God leads his people. He led the people of Israel slowly through the wilderness at the speed of what? three miles an hour and they were commanded not to get ahead and not to fall behind and Jesus when he did his ministry did his ministry at what walking pace the speed of three miles an hour talking and teaching his disciples as they came and went and, and this is the first that I hear of this from Roland and he challenges me like hey it's really hard it's really hard to do this life and ministry and this relationship with God at at hustle you've got to slow to the to the speed of God And maybe the speed of God is a lot slower than you thought. And I think about the the most important people in my life who I most admire for their walk with God. People like Roland. People who listen to the Holy Spirit and seem to have this insane connection with God where he's highlighting things to them throughout the week. And they tell me these stories like, hey, let me tell you about this relationship. Let me tell you about this conversation. I felt God leading me into it and God telling me to say this. And it just, man, and here's what happened and came out of that. When I think of those people in my life, I notice that there's one common denominator. They all walk slowly with God. They walk at a different pace in order to hear his voice. Because it's really hard to relate to God really hard to be present with God, and really hard to hear from God at the speed of hustle. So what do we do? We need to slow down. Let the striving cease and hear the words of Jesus, come to me. Don't just escape from work, come to me and rest in me. Is my yoke, my burden, is light for you. And I will carry you and I will help you walk. And the times that we lament that God isn't working fast enough, seems that maybe it's on purpose. Because God works at a different speed. It's the speed of three miles an hour. And oh, that we would not run ahead or oh, that we would not fall behind, but that we would walk and listen to him. Father God, we confess to you we confess, how often we lament your pace and your speed. You're not moving fast enough, providing fast enough, changing things fast enough. God, forgive us for that. Forgive us. And Lord, teach us to walk with you. Teach us this week to go into this week walking at your pace, not asking you to keep up with us, but instead slowing our hearts down to hear your voice to notice where you are at work, that we might join you in it. And Father, would you teach us just to rest in you and what you have done for us through Jesus. We thank you that in him all of the work we could not do was finished and complete. And we thank you that in him we too will be finished and complete, lacking in nothing. Thank you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.chslash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.